Hi there, Pastor Austin Vonnercheck here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message by our guest pastor and friend will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. And again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. And as Pastor Howard talked about, we're going to study the book of Ruth this morning. So we're going to hear her story. I'll invite you to open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1, or if you want to use your Bible app on your phone. I won't assume you're Googling or looking at Facebook while I'm talking if you're staring at your smartphone. But I'd like to read a few verses from the book of Ruth, starting in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And then from chapter 2, starting in verse 11, Boaz is talking to Ruth in a conversation, and he replies, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I think it's fair to say that we become like the people that we hang out with the most. We start wearing matching clothes or matching colors, might be able to finish each other's sentences or even begin to look like each other. Robert Zanjunk, a social psychologist, actually did a study on couples and he compared photos from when they were married to a picture of them 25 years later. And he said it was remarkable that even if people didn't look very much alike when they first got married, by the end of 25 years, there were a lot more facial similarities. And the more marital happiness a couple expressed, actually, the more they looked like each other, which is crazy. So take a look at this picture of Denzel and Paula at Washington. I saw this one, and they had superimposed their faces on each other, and you could, you could move the bar. I couldn't put that on this PowerPoint. But they have incredible facial similarities, if you look at their eyes and their nose and their mouth. And then we've got Tom Brady and his wife, Giselle Bunchen. Again, amazing similarities in what they look like. So we can become like the people that we spend the most time with. And, and that can be a really good thing, or it might not be such a good thing, right? I read a book in college called The Friendship Factor by Alan Loy McGinnis, and it was all about how do we pour positive things into relationships so that we can have positive influences on the people in our lives. And the whole book boiled down to a very simple principle. The relationships in life can either help us flourish 
or they're going to drag us down and pull us away from the best. So as we look at Ruth this morning, I want you to take a moment to think about the most important relationships in your life. Think about the people you are closest with. What comes to your heart or your mind as you think about those individuals? You see, the relationships we hold on to will shape our lives. And so today we're going to spend time in this book of Ruth. She lived a long time ago in the days of the judges, and we read about her in the Older Testament. As we'll see, Ruth was powerless. She was vulnerable. She was an outsider. And yet something, someone was drawing her into a greater story than her life circumstances seemed to suggest was possible. Someone was drawing her into God's kingdom. In the life of this woman, the ancient Hebrews teach us about an important principle in following Jesus, which is something that the Gospel of John talks about later in the New Testament. And so as the story begins in the book of Ruth, we are first introduced to Naomi. This is Ruth's mother-in-law. Both Ruth and her mother-in-law faced incredible obstacles in her life. First, Naomi and her husband were living in Bethlehem. They faced a famine. And so they picked up and moved their family to Moab, where Ruth's two sons got married to Ruth. I'm sorry, Naomi's two sons got married to uh, Ruth and Orpah. But then tragedy strikes. Naomi's husband dies. And then Naomi's two sons die. So now Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah, the other daughter-in-law, are all widows, and they don't have children. There are three strikes against these people in their culture. First, they are women in a society where women don't have status or power. Second, they're widows, so they have no way of providing for themselves, so they've got grief and loss, but also issues of poverty. And third, they had no children, where bearing and raising children was a woman's central purpose in their society. And so Naomi decides in response to the crises in her life that she's going to return to her homeland. And so she releases the daughters-in-law to say, go back to your home to be with your parents and try again. And this is the point in the story where Ruth makes a really important choice. Instead of going back to her mom and dad, she chooses to stay with Naomi. And so she utters those words in Ruth chapter 1 that I just read, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. So as the story goes, Naomi becomes more than just a mother-in-law and a good companion for her journey, but she becomes a matchmaker, eventually pointing Ruth to um, a man who will make good on an old Hebrew custom where a relative needs to take care of widows in, out of their wealth and also provide an heir for the family line. This family tree isn't just any family tree, though, because it eventually leads to King David and eventually leads to Jesus. This is an incredible story of God's love, of people's love, and what can become of that love. Now, I don't think it's a movie on Netflix or, or Prime yet, but it could be on Hallmark Channel. But someday, somebody needs to make a movie about this love story. So here is the big idea. Here's the big deal about Ruth and her story this morning. Her life is grounded in and surrounded by what the Hebrews described as the word hesed. 
Hesed is translated in the Older Testament as sacrificial love, loyalty, faith, kindness, mercy, favor. As I think about the translation of this word Hesed, it sounds a lot like the fruits of the Spirit. The word Hesed is used three times in this story in Ruth, but the themes of it are woven throughout how the story is told. And so God's kindness, his faithfulness, and love are revealed to Ruth through Naomi and Boaz. God's kindness, his favor, his love transforms Ruth's life and invites her into God's kingdom. We're going to shift gears now for a moment. And Dr. Jim Wilder is a psychologist and he is a theologian. He calls himself a neurotheologian. And he uses the word hesed to describe what neuroscientists call relational attachment. Attachment of those things in relationships that glue us together. And I don't find it surprising that just now neuroscience is doing some studies and discovering something that God put inside of us as human beings from the very beginning. Wilder says this, our brains draw life from our strongest relational attachments to grow our character and develop our identity. Who we love shapes who we are. So attachment in relationship creates this environment where enduring care for the well-being of another person can actually strengthen that person and shape their lives. So for those of you who have children or those of you who have babysat children before, let's think about that bond that's forged in the diaper-changing ritual, right? Babies are helpless. They're dependent. They can't take care of themselves. And so when they need a diaper change, they verbalize their discomfort, which is a nice way to say they scream and cry and sometimes get out of control. Now, a parent doesn't respond to a baby's cry in this time of need, handing them the diaper, saying, here you go, change it yourself, good luck, and walk away. That's crazy. Of course they don't. Responding to the need becomes this moment where relational attachment is built, and so the baby is cared for. You put the baby on the changing table and you look them in the eye and you start to talk to them and comfort them and try to make them smile as you take care of the dirty diaper. It's a time of, it's a moment in a parent-child relationship where that attachment is strengthened, that bonds are formed and the baby learns that she is loved, that he is valued. Because when I have a need, somebody is there to respond to it and take care of me. And so, attachments throughout our life bond us. They glue us together and they form us. So like Ruth, our lives are shaped by the relationships we hold on to. As we take a closer look at Ruth's life and this concept of hesed, I want to invite you to doing your own relational checkup this morning. So remember those people I asked you about earlier in this message. I want you to hold on to those relationships in your mind. The first relationship in this story that we read about is between Ruth and Naomi. And as we, I mentioned, this relationship was forged in crisis. There is great grief, loss, and poverty that they, that they have to face. And we see Hesed, we see sacrificial love, we see faithfulness, and how they treat each other. First, Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, I'm going to release you from your obligation to me as family, and I want you to go home and start your life again. 
And Ruth has a choice to make. And we know Ruth's choice was, I'm going to stay with you, Naomi. I'm going to sacrifice the familiar in this country. I'm going to sacrifice my family for your sake. Now, Ruth is committed to Naomi. She's not going to leave her. She shows us how sacrificial love actually acts to stand with people in difficulties. We've all faced crisis times in our lives, and relationships that are forged out of that pain, that anguish, that hurt, are significant. Not only do they bond us to the person that stands with us in crisis, but they remind us that we are loved, no matter what the circumstances are around us. They remind us of who we are. So who has stood by you in crisis? What did you learn from them in your time of need? Have you been able to pass that kind of love along to another person who's experiencing crisis? The second relationship that we read about in this story is between Ruth and Boaz. It's a relationship of covenant. When Boaz first meets Ruth, it's in his barley fields, and he first responds to Ruth with care, understanding his place in society as extended family. You see, there were expectations in Jewish law that he followed through with integrity. Boaz's initial act to provide food and a safe place for Ruth to work eventually led to a covenant in marriage. We all have covenant relationships, whether it's with a best friend, with the family that we are connected to, or with a spouse. We have relationships that go beyond that contract, I've got a business deal with you, into something that's deeper. And this covenant relationship is not grounded in, what can you do for me? Rather, it's in sacrificial love that we ask the question, how can I offer myself to you. Boaz teaches us this in, in his interaction with Ruth as she's standing in the fields and he's saying, I need to protect you. How can I care for you? So as you think about these close relationships you have in your life, what does that covenant look like with that individual or those individuals? How can you show sacrificial love to a person in your life today? Is there a tangible way you can offer yourself in love. The third relationship is between Naomi, Boaz, and Ruth. It's a relationship of devotion which leads to blessing. See, Ruth and Boaz partner together to bless the life of Naomi. Boaz marries Ruth and they have a child who would carry on Naomi's family line. And so in Ruth chapter 4, we read this. In verse 16, then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living in Bethlehem there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Naomi's life was changed, blessed, her family grew, and she found hope again because of how Ruth and Boaz continued to care for her in relationship. They went beyond what was expected in devotion, being generous to her. 
And so when we think about our close relationships, our covenant relationships, our devoted relationships, are there ways we're invited to be generous to the people in our lives? Generosity actually shapes our actions and our attitudes, which leads to blessing the other person. And then it's not just that we bless them and care for them, but there becomes this mutual relationship because of their response then and interaction with us along the way. So there's mutual satisfaction that comes from mutual service to each other in these devoted relationships. So again, think about your closest connections. How is devotion and blessing at work? Is there some way you can be generous to these important people in your life today? Now, families have legends, stories that get passed down from generation to to generation. So I could tell you about the time my grandfather was the pianist on an ocean liner that crossed over the, from, from England over to New York City, and he was the entertainment on the ship. That was not his job. It just was something he ended up doing. Or there's a big family story in my family of origin growing up where my dad put his hand in a bunch of mashed potatoes in a restaurant and had our family storm out of the restaurant because he was unhappy with the potatoes being cold. We all have family stories that we talk about that are legends, right? You think about your family and your connections. So I wonder if Jesus had Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi in mind as he taught some of his disciples. I wonder if he was thinking about them when he told his disciples on the night before he died in John chapter 15, saying these words, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The kind of love that Jesus refers to here is actually the Greek version of the word hesed. Jesus says, remain in my love. I'm the source of hesed. I'm the source of agape. Attach yourself to me so that your life might be transformed. And then as you attach yourself to me, your life is transformed, then you can pass that love on to the people in your life. Now, I got to be honest, when I do some relationship assessments, like I've asked you to do this morning, I don't always get 100%, right? I don't always get a a star or a passing grade because I'm human, I'm frail, and I make mistakes. I have this desire to let Hesed guide my relationships, to let the love of God influence my relationships, but I don't always do it right. So I believe that Jesus invites us into the kinds of relationships that he has a big hope for us. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to help the people around us grow and be influenced in remarkable ways. And so I want to encourage you to think about how you're doing in connection with Jesus this week. Are you creating space in your life to pay attention to God's love for you? Who we love shapes who we are. And Ruth shows us the power of attachment to God, to Naomi and to Boaz. And because of these individuals and Ruth's choices to love again and again, her life was transformed. 
these life-shaping relationships did not wipe out the grief of loss or the pain of transitions that she faced. I can imagine there were many days Ruth woke up and she missed her mom and dad, she missed her siblings, she missed her cousins, her aunts and her uncles. She missed her homeland. I imagine there were days that Ruth missed her husband, her first husband, and felt the pain of that loss. So entering into these new relationships didn't wipe out that, but they actually transformed the grief of the loss and took away the sting. Those relationships brought kindness, love, mercy, and favor to Ruth, which led to her healing and her wholeness and drew her into God's kingdom. What a remarkable gift love offers to each of us. So our lives are shaped by the relationships we hold on to. There may be plenty of examples of men in the Bible who model this, but I think it's important for us to hear Ruth's voice in this lesson today, to hear Ruth's perspective as a woman who was powerless, Ruth's voice as a woman who was an outsider. She has something important to teach us this morning. And so this invitation we have from Jesus today is to remain in his love and then love others out of that reality. As we stay attached to Jesus, it'll transform us and it'll make the vulnerable, powerless, outsider pieces of us find healing hope and wholeness. And then it will transform the relationships that we engage in throughout this week. At the Grammy Awards in April, you may know that John Batiste had an amazing night. If you don't know who John Batiste is, he's a remarkable musician, singer, songwriter. He's got a lot of energy. He's really fun to watch. Uh, the day after, he won four Grammy Awards that night, and one was for the album of the year. And the day after, a big story broke out about he and his new wife, Sulika. You see, he and Sulika had been dating for eight years, committed to each other. John Batiste is a Jesus follower. And uh, Sulika had gone through a battle with leukemia. She fought the leukemia. She got chemotherapy. She was healed from it. She wrote a book about it and thought that chapter was behind her. And then last fall, the leukemia returned. And in February, the night before Sulika was going in for a bone marrow transplant, John Batiste proposed to her. And he said to her, I want to, be very clear. I want to be very clear, I'm not proposing to you because of this diagnosis. What I want you to know is that this diagnosis doesn't change anything. It just makes it all the clearer to me that I want to commit to this and for us to be together. So they rushed off to the store, bought some clothes, they got married that night, and the next day they walked into the hospital as husband and wife as she faced her bone marrow transplant. And Sulika recalls this. We walked into the transplant on cloud nine. We were so happy, brimming with love and positivity from this beautiful evening we had. The sense of love, the sense of community, the sense of joy were so important. So she continues on another healing journey, not knowing what her future looks like. Batiste and Sulika share a Hesed kind of love. Forged in crisis, it's grounded in covenant, and it's fueled by devotion. So who are you attached to? 
Who's attached to you? Do those relationships lead you to growth? Or do they hinder your growth? Times of crisis become an invitation for deeper connection, authentic conversation, and decisive action to show love to others. The covenant of love becomes an opportunity to ask, how can I help you? And the devotion of love goes above and beyond expectations to bring blessing to the people in our lives. So who we love shapes who we are. May our relationships be grounded in our experience of the perfect, sacrificial love of God so that said might lead our way each day. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we give you thanks for the promises of your word. We thank you for the ways that you offer your love to us. We thank you for the hope that we find in relationship with you, even when there is crisis around us. And so we ask, Lord, that you would walk with us in this week, that you allow us space and time in our lives to connect with your perfect love, that that love might shape all the relationships in our lives as we face crisis, as we make covenant commitments, and as we stay devoted, seeking to be generous, to bless people around us. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.